Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. Cool. I am ready. I am set. We're back. We're back. <laughs> We've got one in the can that we recorded last week that I didn't I didn't put out because I was finishing up some school stuff, but 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 listeners, we're back. We're ready. We're in action. <laughs> our uh, our hiatus is at an end. Yeah, it was good. Yes, I'm glad to be back. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of free time in the last few well, last few months, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm officially in um, fix shit around the house mode. Oh. I got a whole weekend coming up where I don't have any obligations. I don't have a hellbent show. I don't have a play. My wife's going camping or hiking or whatever she's doing. So now it's just repair shit time. <laughs> okay. That could be worse. That could be worse. I'll be um, uh, this, uh, well, I guess a little bit this weekend, but I have so many things I'm doing this weekend. Like, that are cool but like there's just a million a million things I've, I've got going on and then i'll be done with like like my work for the semester i'll be done with that by the beginning of the week next week i've got right. like two take-home finals i gotta do um i gotta sit down and write but uh oh man it's just it's not it's nonsense i have to so all of my undergraduate uh papers are coming in on the 12th Right. And, um, you know, I just, we just did a second exam, you know, a couple of weeks ago and I just graded that. And, and, uh, I met with my, with the professor that I work for, you know, who I TA for today. And, and he was like, so, um, there's no way we're going to pass this guy. Right. Like he, he named like a student. <laughs> he was like, there's no way we can in good conscience pass this guy. He's, he's he sucks. He's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, like I'm not really a stickler for attendance at college because we got their money. I mean, who, who yeah. cares if these dummies don't want to show up and learn shit, then just waste money. Then fine. That's not my problem. I don't give a shit about that. Um, but not only is this guy like not coming to class, he's like not doing assignments and he's, he, he turned in his exam and he read the wrong stuff for his exam. <laughs> you know, he read Schleiermacher and we didn't actually assign Schleiermacher, you know, and, and, and I was like, what do we do? You know, like, I guess we fail him. So we're probably going to fail him. And so I'm probably going to get a, I mean, it's not going to, if it comes to me, I'll just send it right along to Dr. Marsh. Be like, eh, I am not the professor. I am TAing for $3 an hour. You know, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I remember taking classes, certain classes, some classes in college that like I was doing, I was doing triple major. So I had psychology, sociology and criminal justice. And uh, a lot of them overlapped, like a lot of the material overlapped. And I was able to use some of the papers I wrote for my psychology class and my sociology class and things like that. It's not really plagiarism if you're copying your own work right yes <laughs> not i think it changes when you get when you start publishing work but, but that's right. different well listen this is undergrad stuff so it wasn't important but uh my last semester 
uh, a friend of mine from way back moved in with us and I did and I need one credit or one class to graduate to, to finish off my psychology degree. So I ended up taking a, a full slate of like 15 credits or something like that for my final semester because I wanted to get student aid. Because if you didn't take a full full set of courses, then you weren't eligible to get student aid. So I took like 12 or 15 credits, whatever the minimum was. I think it was 12, but I only needed the one class. So like I totally blew off the other classes. <laughs> like the one class I went to the midterm, I went to the final and that was it. You know, <laughs> I took a golf class, right? <laughs> like, like it was really, and well, long story short, my final term semester was like GPA of 0. 0.68. <laughs> right, right. I had a, I had a so real it, shitty final term semester. Sort, sort of dragged my GPA down. I still graduated like a 3.2 or something like that. But like Warm. that last one burned me. <laughs> and I just, I did nothing but drink and fucking party and just be in college for my final semester yeah what do you do no i totally get it i totally and the one and i turned 21 at that point and the one class that i needed was right after lunch at one o'clock and it was right across the street from a bar called the rascaler which was like my hangout so i would go to i would i had like a 10 o'clock class that i would not go to and then i would go down and go to the Rathskeller and start drinking and <laughs> go to my class at one and go back yeah. to the Rathskeller and drink some more, <laughs> go home and drink, go to some girl's house and drink. It was right, pretty awesome. That's college, man. That's a, that sounds like my time in college. Just <laughs> but Yeah. They didn't have a problem failing my ass. So. <laughs> well, and that's the thing I should just, I, we we're, we're probably going to fail him. If he, if his, well, I think the deal we made is, is if his paper is like, less than adequate we're probably just gonna fail him like if his paper it was is a decent paper and he didn't plagiarize it we'll probably give him a c and then be like well, what was his what was his what's his like major is this like something like is this more or less an elective class form or it's is an this... elective it's an elective yeah, yeah so it, he he took major. the class he, he's thinking exactly what i was thinking like oh that'll be easy right <laughs> i won't have yeah. to put any effort into you know religious thought <laughs> or whatever it is the class is. no you're right you're right that's probably what he was thinking yeah <laughs> but so fail him yeah I, I guess that would be satisfying we'll see what i end up doing we'll see what end. it's i'm I, dr marsh is the final one on the grades but like i'm also the the peon who does all the work and so like the at the end of the day it's my grade that dr marsh either goes yeah that sounds good or no that's not what i want you know but uh it's been fun i had this girl there's this girl who's she's like 19 or 20 you know they're all undergrads and um um i've developed a, a pretty good rapport with the students you know that i ta for and there's this girl i think her name is sophia i i don't really have their names <laughs> figured out they've only i've only had them for a semester i don't know who these people are they're peons they're peons they're just <laughs> dumb undergrads but but i forget how it came about but so but I think her name is Sophia. Sophia's like, you know what I'm pretty sure of, Mr. Shear? I was like, what, Sophia? What are you sure of? Tell me. Tell, tell me. Enlighten me, Sophia. What are you sure of? What is your <laughs> What in brain? your 19-year-old brain is going to shock and astound me today? Yeah, yeah. Tell me. Tell me about it. 
And she was like, I'm pretty sure I know more about Star Wars than you do. And I'm like, well, you'd be fucking wrong. But, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever your little brain tells you, I guess. But you'd be wrong, Sophia. And she's she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm say what I mean. Like, I absolutely know more about Star Wars. I've forgotten more about Star Wars than you know about Star Wars, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, let's let's have a competition. All right, go. I just stare at her and she's like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Just accept the fact that I know more than you and we can move on. (laughs) And so that, that was fun. And I've been slowly working through, like I I told the students that they can send me drafts of their papers before the 10th papers due on the 12th. And I was like, I'll accept drafts of your papers up until the 10th. After the 10th, I can't accept any more drafts. And so a couple of students are like, what about this? And they send me his paper and, and I'll edit it and send it back. And I'm like, this is dreadful. And you should rewrite it. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, I don't know if I want to. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you'll get the grade I give you then. But this, as it stands, is, is a dreadful paper. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, I'm, I'm feeling very punchy, Matt. Mostly because, you know, my coursework is done. Yeah. I'm meeting with my advisor and the rest of the faculty in the, in the department, like, like in my part of the department, tomorrow morning. For our end of year like evaluations and um where i'm going to tell them you know basically everything i'm doing and like what i'm interested in and how things have been going and um the last time i talked to my advisor who remember i get along with really really great who i think is awesome like my last time i talked to my advisor i was like hey i've been doing a lot of this uh i've been reading a lot of um this 19th century german theologian that i think is really interesting his name's albrecht Ritchel. i've been reading a lot of Ritchel. And he's like, you've been reading a lot of ritual. Wow, that's that's kind of obscure, but but cool. You know, what, what do you think? And so I'm like talking about it, and then I was like, and I can't find, you know, Paul. I just uh, he he did these lectures on dogmatic theology in 1881, and I I just cannot find like like anything in English. I I can find <laughs> some parts of it in German. And and I and I see that there's going to be this critical edition of those lectures published in German maybe next year. But I really hope somebody does something in English. And Paul Paul's got his like coffee cup and he's like kind of looking at me and he's like, Yeah, that's your job. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, Yeah, welcome. Welcome to scholarship, fucko. Like, like your job is to translate them into English for yourself. And I'm like, but I, I'm but a dummy. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, come on, you learn German in three months. <laughs> and so he, he's like, he's like, yeah, congratulations. You're, you're now translating. Once the critical edition comes out, welcome to the English translation of Albrecht Ritchell's 1881 dogmatic lectures. So well done. <laughs> you know, I'll write the forward for it. You can publish it. It'll be great. And I'm like, but I, but I don't. I don't know if I, I, I and he just, he's just staring at me. Google translate, my friend. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Like, like that. I'm not, so I'm just going to Google translate it. Hope for the yeah. best. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's been, it's been pretty funny. He's. That's what I do. Every, every new thing I come up with, I tell him about it. And he's, he's like, oh man, that sounds great. You're going to have to translate a lot of shit. And I'll be like, but I don't want to, Paul. I just want to, I just want to do it. And like, no, sorry. Sorry, you're a PhD student. Why can't anybody smart be English? <laughs> I know, that's what I say all the time. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, come on. 
And there's some cool English uh, theologians that I really think are cool, but like, you know, I'm finding only about a third of Albrecht Ritchell's stuff has been translated into English because he just he just was, you know, more int- more important to the German Academy than than the you know American or British Academy. But uh, the stuff that is translated in English, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, this is, oh, I could do something with that. Yeah. And I read this. Uh, here's the context for it, and then we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about something better. But I, uh, so I'm I'm reading Albert Ritchell, right? And I'm like, oh, this this guy's kind of cool. Like like I, I can really dig this. I I think that's really great. And I found this book, written by a a guy. So Albert Ritchell is a 19th century theologian. And in the Christian theology world, um, around maybe the 30s in the 20th century, um, there was this major kind of theological pushback against the 19th century theology. Um, and a lot of that had to do with Nazis, basically, like, like a lot of it was the German Theological Academy um, that was trained and, and active in the 19th century who are still alive by the time the Nazis took over, a lot of them were, became Nazis. Like a lot of them, a lot of them were like, uh, this sounds okay. You know, and they kind of did it. And then like their students, you know, the students that became, that learned from them and then became active theologians or theological faculty in like the twenties and thirties, we're like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You know, like, like you guys can't, <laughs> they're Nazis. Like we, we can't do this bullshit. And so what it became this like movement to discredit the 19th century as a theological, you know, century, right? Like a lot of the material that's produced is like heavily critiqued, but is not well read. Like, and that's really yeah. what ends up happening is because there's this like inherent critique uh, folks are just trained not to read it all that much. <laughs> this isn't uh, going to turn into a what about the good things Hitler did argument, is it? Not, not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, mostly because the guys that like, the guys that I've been reading died before the 20th century. It's just, yeah. they, they just get caught up in this in this major critique that that post-Nazi people are, are making about the 19th century. And, um, and so I find this book uh, that's written uh, by this guy who has clearly imbibed this critique, right? That 19th century bad, you know, and uh, and it's on the Trinity. It's like this this guy's talking about like German theologians' understandings of the Trinity and shit, and he talks about Ritchell and his this theologian I'm reading in in his section on the 19th century, and basically it's like we all know that the 19th century is poop poop garbage. It's been well established. It's poop poop garbage all the way down. <laughs> But why is it poop poop garbage? Well, let's look at Albrecht Ritchell to find out. Albrecht Ritchell has only written a few pages on the Trinity, and you know I'm reading this book and 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 the stuff that he's bringing forward. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Like Albrecht Ritchell doesn't sound like a dummy. It sounds actually interesting. And then he goes, then he goes. However, most of Ritchell's work on the Trinity is found in his 1881 dogmatic lectures that have gone unpublished, and you know I. I don't really know anything about him, but but I'm like, what? Where, where are these lectures? And so, like, it began this like long process of me trying to get a hold of these lectures, um, to to like understand them. But uh, it, it's been it's been wild. It's it's been a strange time for me these last couple of weeks where I'm trying to get schoolwork done, 
but then my brain is like, well, you should really investigate this Albrecht ritual character. And I'm like, you're right, I should. I should do no schoolwork except try to locate obscure 19th check, century. Check down religion. 19th century Nazi dogma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Ooh, I found it. But I, I discover, so like this guy who's writing about it in his book, he's like, you know, he's, he's talking about these dogmatic lectures. And he's like, the only pieces of the dogmatic lectures I know about are from this guy named Rolf Schaefer who partially reproduces Ritchell's dogmatic lectures in a book he wrote in 1968 on Albrecht Ritchell. And so then I had to find Rolf Schaefer's 1968 book on Albrecht Ritchell. And I finally found it. It's in our library in like the rare book room. And so like I request it and I get it and I get a hold of it. And, and I'm like, I'm like, well, surely he in a footnote will tell me where he found these lectures so because he's only reproduced like a third of them in these in this book. And so like I'm I'm like get to like the footnote and I'm translating the footnote. And and in the footnote he said he said I saw Albrecht Ritchell's dogmatic lectures of 1881 when his grandson allowed me into his home and showed me a peak of his of his grandfather's writing. And that's what we see here. And I'm like what the fuck am I supposed to do now? <laughs> I can't You better found Albrecht Ritchell's great great grandson oh that's what you need God. to do find out where he's at and like, make sure that he didn't use him to wrap a fish or something <laughs> and then i like went on a a whole like day-long escapade where i'm like trying to find something like who has these where can i find them albert Ritchell taught at like the university of hale in in germany does does university of hale have the albert Ritchell papers like somebody help me out well, there's this random lady in Germany. Her name is like Brigitte. Brigitte Dr. Brigitte is, <laughs> is, is uh, editing Albrecht Ritchell's 1881 dogmatic lectures. You know, not into English. She's just editing them, you know, into for German. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're going to be released sometime. And, and, I, and, and I'm, that's all the information I have. <laughs> so I, I sent an email to Dr. Brigitte, who I assume yeah. can speak a little bit of English. And, I like, and I'm like, hello, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am a, a student at the University of Virginia. When will the lectures be uh, produced so that I can, I guess, buy them and translate them myself? <laughs> and she hasn't gotten back to me. I'll but, bet you the reason she hasn't gotten back is because she has so many PhD students from around the world beating down her door that she just doesn't have time to respond to all the emails. I'm I sure so. that's what it is. I'm sure that's what it is. <laughs> instead, it's going to, it's instead it's yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. Shit. I don't care. I don't care what you do. <laughs> she's like, I don't know English. Yeah. Well, instead she's like, I don't know what this kid is saying. Like, cause I don't speak English, <laughs> but yeah. When Paul, when Paul was like, when I'm, when I'm just, when I'm just expressing my concern to Paul, I'm like, Oh man, I just wish, just wish there was a good English translation. You know what I mean, Paul? Yeah, yeah, Ethan. Yeah, well, get on that, I guess. You know, like that's your job now. You know, you're gonna work yourself into more work, man. Every time, every that's how it is. How it is every time. I, I, I talk to these professors about my ideas, and they go, "Oh man, it sounds like a great idea. You should uh, do it this way so that you can do." Well, you know, twice as much work as you planned, <laughs> and uh, you might get a job. And I'm like, Great, 
awesome. This is why I'm just a big dummy and I like to stick to things I can Google. <laughs> yeah, if only. If only I could do that. Wow. All right. Explain something to the layperson when you're referring to dogma. Like my experience with dogma is like a Kevin Smith movie. Yes, great movie. What, Dogma's a great movie. What what exactly do you mean by dogma? Um, when well, I'll tell you what Albert Ritual means by dogma or dogmatics. Um, what he means is like dogmatic theology for this era is any systematic theology that that attempts to to cover all like of the Christian um like doctrinal standards and so it's so if somebody has written dogmatics Mm -hmm. what that means is they have written a a volume or several volumes of theology that attempt to cover like all the major questions of like christian theology so um some theologians write a very topical book like x theologian just wrote a book on creation oh that's cool you know Mm-hmm. You read 200 pages about a theology of creation. Sounds really great. A dogmatics would be um, X person just wrote 700 pages and covered creation, redemption, sanctification, fall, you know, like, like is, is sort of presented their entire kind of, I'm going to say scientific. And all I mean by that is the, the meticulousness of it, right? The entire kind of technical handbook on what mm-hmm. they think is, is happening, you know, in, in the whole Christian tradition. And, and that would be what dogmatics is, you know, so if somebody says I'm studying dogmatics, they're, they're studying those pieces of theology or the, that theological style that aims to for um, 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 total coherence, right, like, like, a, like a total system of thinking. Thomas okay. Aquinas wrote dogmatics, so like <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, 13th century medieval theologian who's very, very important to the Catholic Church, like if you are studying to be a Catholic priest, chances are you took a class in your Catholic seminary and it was just called Aquinas. And you right. sat there with all of Aquinas's work and you said, this is Aquinas's system. This is how everything fits for Thomas Aquinas um, because he's a dogmatician. Okay. That's what I mean. That makes dogma. sense. Yeah. So I, I was under the misconception that dogma meant more like um, uh, traditionalism or like originalism. Maybe sure. like uh, <laughs> almost like an evangelical view. Yeah, yeah, of, I know what you mean. Yeah, and so that's not what it is. That's good. Yeah, not necessarily. There's there's that like kind of slang way of saying of talk, saying the word dogma. You know, you're mm-hmm. being dogmatic or or that's well, that's dogma. a what that's the context in which I run into it mostly is is whenever somebody's saying saying it in those terms, you know, and I kind of had this misconception of, of what exactly dogma was because frankly dogma is what's ruining the world <laughs> in, in my definition <laughs> sure, sure. no I, I totally get it i totally get it i i also try not to be dogmatic you know and and that's like that's not really my style as a theologian like hey my brain isn't really built for that like my brain isn't really built for you know okay write a book or a series of books that that fits everything together like i aim for coherence i aim for systematic coherence in my writing but like i'm not gonna write a dogmatics you know i'm not there's a couple of people right now who are writing 
you know, these multi-volume dogmatics. Um, there's a lady named Catherine Sondreger, who, who in particular I'm thinking of, who's, who's working on her third of what will be a seven-volume dogmatics that when it's complete will be her, her whole system. You know, what does Sondreger think about theology? Well, these seven volumes, 500 pages apiece, you know, tackle each part of the Christian faith, and these are her dogmatics. Um, you get this kind of slang term for dogma comes out of that, you know, when, when you, when you say something like when somebody writes a dogmatics, it's difficult to take bits and pieces from it because everything fits together, you know, and, and you can't, it's hard to, it's hard to go. It's hard to say, yeah, I really like Aquinas, but, uh, you know, I kind of disagree with Aquinas on these three things. You can do that. Like, that's perfectly fine. And you can still like Aquinas, but you're not really a, an Aquinian then, you know, like, yeah. because his dogmatics is set up that everything fits sort of perfectly together. Um, and so somebody becomes dogmatic when they, when they are inflexible, right? And they're, they're not really able to think outside of that system. But like dogmatic systems um, are not always bad. You know, they're, right. they're just... It, they're just, they're just complete yeah they're complete exactly they're closed systems. right so right so i i think that i my uh my kind of knee-jerk negative reaction to the to the phrase is based on the fact that it is inflexible because it, it's almost um it's almost uh preachy or arrogant in a way to say okay this is what this means and you can go well i don't know if that's what that means no, this is what it means, <laughs> right? And, and it, it kind of closes off the argument. Once you've got a dogmatic system, there is no more argument. This is what it is, according to that individual. Yeah, so. no, I think that's true for sure. Um, now, does that mean that that individual who wrote it, like, it is him, him or herself, like, dogmatic in that really, like, kind of narrow, negative way? Like, does that mean that that person is not open to other systems or, or whatever? No, not necessarily like, like they, there's that, that's all fine, but like in terms of their system. So like sometimes in theology world, you have these major theologic, these major theologians, and then they're, then they're disciples, they're followers. And um, it's always good to be into a theologian, but not into their school of thought. Like it's, <laughs> it's a good thing. Karl Barth, he's, he's one of the most important 20th century German theologians ever. He wrote a 14-volume Christian dogmatics that he called the Church Dogmatics. It's it's gigantic and rich and complete and and like really really brilliant. And it's really it, it's good to be into Karl Barth. It's right. probably not good to be a, a Barthian because that just means you're a dogmatic fucko, you know, who who yeah. like who can't see beyond you know Barth's system. Bart was not a Bartian. <laughs> right. Bart, Bart created the system and said, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. You know, and everybody's like, yeah, not only is it cool, it's the only true Christianity. And Bart's <laughs> like, okay, well, hang on a second. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, it's it's the same thing for, for for Aquinas too, right? Like Aquinas, really, really smart. And and his his dogmatic system, really, really cool. There's some really great, neat stuff there. But Aquinas is not an Aquinian. You know, and right. so like like he's just he's just Thomas. He's Thomas Aquinas, and he read a lot of stuff that wasn't his system, and thought that stuff was cool too. You know, 
but but right. the Aquinians are really the pain in the ass people <laughs> who who like when you say a theological idea, they go, mm, that's not in that's not in Aquinas's dogmatics. And I go, yeah, it's OK. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, yeah. That, there you go. That's dogma as far as Thank I'm you. concerned. Thank <laughs> you. So um, I don't mean to uh, hijack an episode, but I oh, would no. really love to talk to you about Batman if you're interested. Okay, I um, I am interested. Let's let's do it. Perfect. Um, so Matt, you what did you what are your initial impressions about the new the Batman? First of all, it took me three nights to watch it because it's long as fuck. Long as fuck. That's true. And I didn't have uh, I didn't have time to sit down and watch the whole thing end to end. But I'll start with the things I liked. Sure. I really liked the the mood and the attitude of the film. I liked the fact that Batman wasn't like uh, he wasn't Superman, yeah. <laughs> right? He was able to get knocked out. He was able to get you know beat around a little bit. Um, I liked that it was more focused on like the old detective novels. It felt like a, um, a crime noir piece rather than, you know, a superhero piece. Um, I really liked some of the aesthetics as far as like, I liked the, the Batmobile. It wasn't some kind of weird, you know, super high tech machine. It was just right. like a, you know, Ford Fury right. <laughs> or something. You know, it was it's pretty cool. Um, I, it was a lot more. It was a lot more sort of down to earth, which I know that's not what we look for in superhero movies. But I feel like coming off of like all Avengers sagas and all that, that was so um, meta. Like everything not only affected Earth but the universe and reality and blah 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 blah. I felt like this was much more grounded and and digestible, and I liked that. Um, yeah. Having said that, it was kind of boring. There, like, I, like I thought the Riddler was uh, horrible. I thought the 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 costuming for the Riddler was horrible. It only got interesting whenever the Riddler got caught. And we actually got to talk to him a little bit, but um, there wasn't a sense of like impending danger or doom for me. Like it didn't didn't uh, it wasn't very cohesive. And like I'm like, what is why what is going on why why is everybody so angry why are people following this guy and i guess it was some kind of commentary on like social media and how people can be you know influenced to do things but it just didn't ring very true to me it didn't have the same and I, frankly the the dark knight the one with with heath heath ledger yeah. ruined him all for me because like i thought he did such a spectacular do job as the joker bringing that character to to the um, big screen in a way that hadn't really been done before. I, I, I kind of look at all Batman villains through that lens now. Yeah. And that's not fair because that was an outlier. Sure. Sure. Um, but I just didn't have that. Like I thought I didn't think anybody was bad in the Batman. I didn't think that Robert Pattinson did a bad job by any stretch. No. I didn't think that, um, I couldn't. I didn't even know it was Colin Farrell until I saw the credits. Who was playing crazy? the Penguin? Yeah, you know, like I didn't think he did a bad job. I, I didn't think, and there was no 
there was no bad acting in it. It just wasn't terribly a compelling story for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't very cohesive. It didn't, it didn't, uh, I mean, for three hours, you would think that we would have a little bit more intensity, a little bit more drama, a little bit more buildup. And it all just kind of flatlined. Yeah, I agree. You know, it was interesting for the first 45 minutes because it was new and it was noir and it was a different kind of style. And, and that was interesting, but then it didn't really go anywhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my opinion. What did you think about the Batman? So I wasn't offended, um, right? which is a good, honestly, is a good sign. The last three live action Batman films, I, I was pretty offended by. <laughs> I, don't yeah. like, I, didn't, I didn't like them at all. You know, I didn't like Bat. I didn't like Batfleck. I didn't like Ben Affleck as Batman. I didn't. <laughs> I hated the Dark Knight Rises. You know, the third. Yeah, that was the bad. third of the trilogy was really, really shitty. Um, so so that's good. I most of my problems with the film are are um sort of explained in universe, which I can appreciate. So like something that I, I, many of the things you liked about the film, I also liked. I liked that it was a detective based story. I liked that. I liked it was that it was, you know, this kind of film noir style. Um, um, I appreciated that Bruce Wayne is so new as Batman in this. Like I appreciated that he, he'd only been being Batman for like three years. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean when I say there's some in-universe explanations for some of my problems with it. Like some of the most of the problems I have with this film boil down to the actions that Bruce Wayne takes. But like many of those actions, you can just chalk up to he's an experience. He doesn't he doesn't really know what he's doing right now. Right. So like one in particular moment that I that I really wish was different. There's an explanation in universe, but even even so, I wish was different um, when he sends selena kyle back into the iceberg lounge to go right. undercover right i didn't like that at all like it was it was it wasn't that it was a bad scene it wasn't that zoe kravitz did bad or or it was really really bad it was just it was just it's so weird you know for bruce wayne to do that like bruce wayne i could understand batman bugging selena kyle if he found out that she was going to go back to the iceberg lounge anyway Right. You know, and then like bugging her and fall and, you know, following her and using her, you know, to gain information in that way. But I think what probably just should have happened was Batman should have gone undercover to the Iceberg Lounge himself. Right. You know, like he he could have appeared as Bruce Wayne, like he could have just been Bruce Wayne going to the Iceberg Lounge. Yeah, but that um, wouldn't have showed off the funky bat toys. You're right. And that's the thing that, that frustrates see, me. That's know? the thing that I that I think that that entire scene was. A way to show off the new bat, you know. Yeah. It wasn't a bearing, but those like it was. It was to show like the technical aspect of like Batman's arsenal, right? Sure. But you're right. That, that it was kind of out of character for. Yeah, it's just it, it. Not only is it out of character in terms of like, you know, he he doesn't actually want to put people in danger. You know, right. like, like that's not really his thing. But it's also out of character from like his obsessive personality, like. Why would Bat? Why would Bruce Wayne trust Selena Kyle, a person he's not, he hasn't known for very long, right. to do the legwork? Like, you know, he he would be like, no, fuck no, I'm going in. You know, I can only right. trust me. You know, like 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 to do it the way it needs to be done. Um, but but once again, there's an in-universe explanation for that, right? Like he he as Bruce Wayne doesn't realize the importance 
of having the Bruce Wayne alter ego. Right. Um, I wish this movie ended or moved towards that direction. Like I wish, I wish he Batman had an arc where he was like, I really need to develop my Bruce Wayne persona. And not only because it will be advantageous for me to do that from a detective standpoint, but also to keep people from guessing that I am Batman. Like, right. You don't, you don't want to shoot the one time Robert Pattinson goes into public. He looks like he could be Batman. Right. That's, that's the thing that is frustrating to me. Right. Like, right. like he shows up, he's broody and miserable. He's at a fucking you know, funeral. <laughs> Right. And somebody's bound to be like, you know, he kind of looks like Batman. <laughs> well, I mean, the Riddler found out he was Batman pretty quick, you know? Yeah, I agree. And and, and then actually, and, go for it. Hey, I think that's something that, that like, other actors like Michael Keaton and the, mm. the one from the 90s and even Christian Bale did a really good job of kind of separating the playboy Bruce Wayne from like the dark brooding Batman, right? Yeah where Pattinson didn't really do that, but I don't know that that's Pattinson's fault. No, it's not Pattinson's fault. It's all direction, you know, and it's not, yeah. it's just, it's just a choice I would, I didn't like. And here's, so like my other main problem is um, particularly in a post dark night world, like after, since, since the dark night has already happened, there's really no reason to keep interpreting Batman villains in this gritty, realistic way. Right. Like dark, dark is fine. You know, film noir is fine. It can be dark. It can be brooding. It can be, you know, all of these things, but it doesn't have to be gritty. You know, not really. Like we've already interpreted Batman like that to varying success, right? Like we had success interpreting Joker in this sort of gritty domestic terrorist way in the dark Knight. Mm -hmm. We had success with a little bit of success anyway with Two Face. Two Face is my favorite Batman villain, and I, I right. wish that somebody would really take on Two Face because I think he's a great villain. But like, there's no reason why the Riddler has to be interpreted as a as a domestic terrorist incel. There's no reason for that, you know. Like, yeah, it's it's lazy. It, it, it's I, I go, well, why? You know, why can't Riddler wear a fucking purple bowler hat and a green? Right. I mean, jacket, that whole, you know, the whole like, gimp suit, <laughs> like right. Like it's it's one it's been done, and exactly. two it doesn't it doesn't really fit the Riddler at all. I no, mean, not at all. Comics that I've read, it doesn't that doesn't even come close. Now I liked Heath Ledger's take on the Joker because sure. it felt, I mean, the Joker's a fucking straight up whack job, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. And it felt like Heath Ledger had more of his oars in the water than I ever imagined. The Joker would, right? But right. I liked that. I liked that character because it was new and it was different, and it was, I think, an asset for the character to be brought about that way. I don't think that the Joker or the uh, the Riddler gained anything by being in a in a emo gimp suit. Like yeah. I don't think that. I I agree with you. That's the thing. Like like the problem the problem with interpreting Batman villains in the sort of gritty realistic way is that they almost all become domestic terrorists like like yeah. that's that's how you interpret these villains in this way is is you go oh i guess the riddler is also a domestic terrorist and i and i go but he doesn't have to be like i understand why you interpret him that way but but like the riddler is just some weird dandy who likes riddles you know yeah yeah he kills people yeah he puts people in jeopardy yeah that's all very bad but like but he 
Where's a fucking little mask and a fucking green bowler hat? And and, and, and frankly, and in that film, he was way better when he was unmasked. Yeah, you're he was right. Way scarier when he was unmasked. You're exactly yeah. right. You're exactly right. And and like that that's the thing that I think is is really frustrating is, you know, you you when you interpret them in these gritty, realistic ways, you actually limit the impact that these that these villains can have. Um so like Two-Face, Two-Face is a good example, right? Like, I think Aaron Eckhart does a decent job in The Dark Knight as Two-Face. I think I think it's paced well enough that we, I can forgive it. But like, they ultimately, in an attempt to interpret Two-Face in this gritty, realistic way, miss the brilliance of Two-Face as a villain. Right. You know, Two-Face, Two-Face is a mob boss mm-hmm. who used to be a DA. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what makes him brilliant as a character. And then the second thing that makes him brilliant is that it puts Bruce Wayne in jeopardy because right. here is a villain that Bruce Wayne could not save. And, and as a result, he has lost his buddy, he, not only his buddy, but like a good person in Gotham right. falls and fails because of Batman's failure. These are compelling stories that you miss when you interpret these villains, you know, in, in these ways, like that, Two-Face is great precisely because he's not looking for world domination and he's not looking to blow up a school. You right. know, two, Two-Face is great because he's trying to create order, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Gotham streets, just like he was trying to do that as Harvey Dent. Right. Only this time he's creating order through violence and intimidation and power. Like, cool, yeah, do that. Riddler doesn't have to be complicated. Riddler, Riddler has this this deep problem. No, he doesn't. Riddler worked for Wayne Enterprises. He got <laughs> butt hurt because somebody didn't like his work, and so he put on a fucking green bowler hat and started to kidnap people. Like, like he's just a <laughs> fucking he's crazy. Like, let him right. let him do that. That's way yeah. more interesting, and it's way more scary, frankly, because it's not as predictable, and, it, and you don't see it coming. You know, like you don't. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated to be effective, right? It doesn't have, everything doesn't have to have this deep sort of explanation. It can just be a guy being crazy because you know what? That's scary. It is scary. You're right. You know, and, and it also makes them more interesting. That's, that's always been my thing. Like it, it's both, it's both scary when it's not gritty and uh, it, it the 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 theatrical aspect comes out, right? It's the same reason why I, I think that, um Heath Ledger's Joker is this anomaly, right? Like Heath Ledger performs the Joker in a way that is so unique and so compelling and so different that that like he's the exception that proves the rule. Like in general, you don't want to approach the Joker in this sort of gritty reboot way. Why? Well, because Joker Joker's just some weirdo who wears a purple three-piece suit who who um is scary and awful and 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 horrible but nevertheless makes dad jokes and right. and like and like is unflappable and just laughs at the nihilistic absurdity of the world like you Heath Ledger's Joker is gritty and realistic and and that's great but you don't need to make another gritty and realistic Joker no because i think it was done so well and in the Heath Ledger bringing that like the 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 juxtaposition between Batman's order and the Joker's like chaos, um, Batman's 
regulation and discipline and the Joker's anarchy. You know, they were they they perfectly matched each other in in terms of like a good versus evil fighter. Uh, you know, they 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 counterbalanced each other what uh, each other very very well. Um, but we've seen it. I've seen that with the Joker, and you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna see a better portrayal than Heath Le- Heath Ledger's portrayal in that sort of opposition to Batman, right? right? To show to show how different they are, and to try to do it with the Riddler, it's just not. The Riddler's not that deep, you know. It's just not that deep, and Bane's not that deep. Like they tried to do it with Bane, and that was awful. Like yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's just. Let them let them be, and, and I think that the 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 criticism that you have with the Harvey Dent character um, from the Dark Knight is a valid one and a good one. But I think that that was because there wasn't enough time in that movie to explore both villains. I mean, really, Heath Ledger was stealing the spotlight mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. Joker, and and to try to to really delve into Harvey Dent. In, in a deep way, in a way that was probably more deserving, should have been its own film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's there's really no reason why Harvey Dent isn't the main villain of The Dark Knight Rises. Um, right. Except that they wanted to kill him off for reasons I don't I don't fully understand. <laughs> um, because that because it's actually because the 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 plot would be would feel smaller to to the writers. That's the thing, right? Like because once again, Two Faces and Afterworld domination. Two Faces. Right, it's just a mob boss trying to create order in that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I long story short, like the stuff I liked about the Dark Knight, I liked. Like I liked the chase scene between him and Penguin. I thought that was really exciting yeah. and really different. Um, I thought Colin Farrell did a decent job with the Penguin. It's an interpretation of the Penguin that I uh, probably wouldn't have come up with if I thought about right. it. But but like it was was fine. I thought it was good. Um, I thought Zoe Kravitz did fine with a character that's ultimately as boring as Selena Kyle. Like there's, there's few characters <laughs> in, in Batman that are as boring as Catwoman and, and right. Zoe Kravitz is a, a decent job with it. Um, I liked uh, Jim Gordon a ton. I like the guy that got to play commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he had a lot of hum- humanity to him and, and really played the role, I think really well. Right. And that, I don't know that, that, actor's name off the top of my head but i've seen him in other things i've seen him in like westworld and oh okay a couple, couple of other things and he, the guy's just a talented actor like, yeah he can take a role like i don't think jim gordon was particularly written well yeah I agree. he's kind of he's kind of oafish in that yeah. in that uh film in the batman but like the guy the guy that played him did a really like he did a really good job with what he was given yeah. and i think that's just a testament is you know acting ability because i've seen him in other things and he's always done a stellar job uh, as far as portraying his characters um i didn't like catwoman at all uh <laughs> because she, a she's not terribly compelling and b i thought it was just it was again that gritty thing yeah. where they're trying to like <laughs> she has like a piece of velvet over her nose like that's your costume really? yeah yeah it was a shitty costume <laughs> like, it really was like i don't know like, if i got what are you it doing, like, you know? <laughs> what are you doing you know yeah no you're, you're definitely right about the costume um for, but i mean Catwoman. ultimately i would say that like the batman is all right it was too yeah. long it wasn't really long. go anywhere um 
if I'm, if I'm going to invest three hours in something, like I want to be taken for a ride. And I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like it moved very well. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think it was bad. I think there was a lot of positive elements to it. I think there was a lot of potential to it. I think if they do another one with Robert Pattinson and they keep that noir sort of uh, feel, but they work a little bit more on the storyline yeah. and, and make it a little bit more compelling in terms of like, a murder mystery or whatever, um, however they choose to do it, then I think it could be really successful. I just feel like um, this one was kind of like The Dark Knight Rises, the first one. It was kind of like, meh, the story wasn't that great. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. The 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 weakness of the story is, is I think, really dem- demonstrable when you get to the end. And and you slowly realize that Riddler's plan sucks, sucks so much yeah. dick that you can't. It was so stupid. I'm like, what's the plan? Oh, yeah. We're going to flood, sort of flood Gotham, kind of. Yeah. And then up to then everybody's what? knees. Yeah, up to everybody's knees. We're going to cause property damage. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But like, that's the plan. <laughs> and then and then then what? They're going to go into Gotham Square Garden. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I get it. They're yeah. going to go to Madison Square Garden. And yeah. then what? And then my goons are gonna commit murder, like, like it's yeah. But, but why did he have goons? Where did the right. goons come he from? He shouldn't have goons. It doesn't make like, any what, sense. What? Why does Riddler have goons? What the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, I feel like the actor that portrayed the Riddler didn't have anything to didn't have a leg to stand on. I feel like I, I feel like he could have done a great job with it, but like yeah. his he was kneecapped from the get go. Um, I don't think he did a bad job in terms of his portrayal and his acting. I just don't think there was much there there for that. Yeah, I agree. Well, and so like when I took I talked to my my you know Nick Nick and, and Angie his his wife about it, and one of the things that Angie Angie was the one who said it. Angie's a huge Batman fan. So 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 is Nick, but Angie's Angie reads a ton of the comics, and Angie I think really correctly said that the problem with these movies is that they keep combining Batman villains. And, and so like, she was like, the Riddler was Victor Zaz. He's the, he's the payphone killer. Why not? If you wanted to do this, this mystery story where, where random people would be killed and, and clues would be left either via phones or whatever, then do, do a Batman villain that already does that. You, yeah. you don't need to. You don't need to call him the Riddler when he's demonstrably not the Riddler. Riddle me right. this, Batman. I mean, no, there's no. I guess Batman did have to solve ciphers and and clues and stuff, but yeah, it's but not the Riddler. Even those weren't very good. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You know, like like that's not a Riddler move. Like like yes, Riddler leaves clues and and stuff, but like for Riddler, it's the theater of it. You know, like, right. like it's it's the it's the sort of brilliant weirdness of pardon it's me, kind of the Riddler. impishness of it really is what it yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. And if they instead wanted, you know, a killer, if they like Batman's got lots of killers for yeah. you know, for their for his rogues gallery, just pick one of them. No, we needed somebody with a name. OK, well, then why did you want to tell a Victor Zaz story? Like, why did you want to tell a story that? Victor Zaz or the candle or the calendar man or these these yeah. like these these deranged killers in the Batman rogues gallery wants to do like why if you wanted the Riddler tell a Riddler story right 
that's okay. Like, like that'd be fun, you know. Well, they wanted the Riddler because of the name recognition. They already used up Penguin. They already used up. I mean, let's face it. The three, the three main ones, the four, are the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, and Two Face. Right. You know, and they've used them all. So, what are you gonna do? Throw Mister Freeze in there? Come on. That would be. It'd be miserable. Speaking of Mister Freeze, here's some fun Batman lore that I might have told you. You might know. So, like, obviously, Mister Freeze, uh, made famous by. Um, why can't I think of his name? Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, in a in a truly horrific who's been, performance, who's been ruining roles since, <laughs> since like he did a great job with the Terminator, and it's been down fucking hell since then. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just bad. You know, he 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 notoriously has a horrific does a horrific job as Mister Freeze. Um, <laughs> and and you know, as you learn, I, I've learned about this movie, this Joel Schumacher Batman and Robin movie, and apparently Anthony Hopkins was the first person they asked to play Mr. Freeze. Oh, wow. Which would have been... I, actually, I don't know how that would have gone. That would have been, hand, it would have been terrible. <laughs> on, on one hand, the movie sucked really, really bad. And and like if, if poor Anthony Hopkins had to be in that role, he might have killed himself. You know, he yeah. might, it might have been the end. But here's the, here's the craziest part. If Arnold Schwarzenegger would have said no, the third choice was Hulk Hogan. Oh, God. Which might have been the greatest movie of all time. Like, like, can you imagine that? <laughs> Hogan, Hogan doing all those ice puns as Hogan. Like, like, <laughs> I tell you something, brother. You know, like, like that would be crazy. That would be some weird dream. You know, I would, I would watch that every day if I could. <laughs> yeah, you can't do, you can't do Mister Freeze now. Unless you cast Idris Elba, who would have absolutely fucking nailed Mister Freeze, you know. Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta go for a Shakespearean actor for for right. Mister Freeze, but uh, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do that. Wild. Well, I I'm glad that the Batman has been released and it's over. It wasn't uh, bad. I mean, it no. wasn't bad. You're right. It You're was right. all right. It, it was okay. Just wasn't great, you know. But again. I think a lot of that is colored off of like how good the Dark Knight was, you know. Sure. Like, I, I have, I for one have a, like an expectation now that I want to see like, not not a copycat of like Heath Ledger's performance, but like something on that level, right? Something that right, you, right, uh, that you can really that mm-hmm. that somebody really takes the character and evolves the character in a way that's interesting and fresh and and frightening, and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe to get Daniel Day Lewis to play something next. <laughs> I, I think I think that'd be cool. I think it'd be really great. Like like ultimately, you just need a you just need a decent actor to play Batman. Yeah. Uh, and and other than that, everybody else should be really really great. Yeah. Uh, and and that, then, again, yeah. I don't think Pattinson did a bad job, but like no, like really, Batman's not not that not that deep. No, not he's really. not that complicated. He's not that. So. Complicated. No, I think you're right. The only other, um, the only other film I've seen recently is Beth made me watch The Eternals. Have you? Did you see? The, oh God, I. You should give it a shot sometime. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um. It's a. Uh, there's no way that movie fits with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, no matter how hard they tell me it does. Like yeah. the plot of the film, I'm like, I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like, you're telling me this was all happening. While Thanos wipes out half of all life, like now, yeah. fuck you, 
that's not that's not it the the movie was okay i was a little high i'll start with that so i was a little high for the film because i do (laughs) do now uh from my muscles uh for medicinal purposes um but i was a little high and uh the the director for for uh, eternals um has this sort of art house background right and there are moments in this film where you can tell that the director was very artistic, but all the Marvel producers are like, this still needs to be a Marvel film. So, right. so don't go that crazy. And so the compromise <laughs> from my eyes seems to have been the fight scenes are between the Eternals and what are called the Deviants, which are like the big monsters they have to fight, right. are so vaguely rapey and <laughs> and like 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 there's so like you know typical marvel fight scene like even with thanos right like it gets it can get violent right like it's it's like think about the hulk hulk right. body and people he's, he's, he's you know killing people with his with his fists right the the fight scenes in this movie were it, it was just a little different you know like like there <laughs> there are moments so like one of the main bad guys has tentacles that that if if he penetrates the Eternals can suck their powers out and like kill them. Mm-hmm. And and then when that when that deviant, when that monster does that, that monster like evolves and becomes stronger and like gains other power. So every time that particular monster shows up, I'm a little uncomfortable because it's <laughs> it it really is like like oh, this is somebody's tent- gonna get penetrated <laughs> tentacly and like like I don't yeah. I don't like this at all. But all the other guns, all the other deviants, first of all, they look like Cthulhu monsters. They look like fucking terrifying, like awful abominations that you need to kill with fire. <laughs> but but like every fight scene, like, you know, they're bodying the Eternals. Like like I, one of the fight scenes between like um, the main Eternal, who's like the Superman of the Eternal group and, and this deviant, like they're fighting. And then and then suddenly like the, the deviant, like, gets on top of uh Icarus, that's the guy's name, Icarus's back and like takes his his hand, like like the deviant takes his hand, puts it on the back of Icarus's like head and just like just like shoves him kind of into the dirt. Yeah. And the way it's shot, like it looks like he's being mounted to be raped. <laughs> like like the way it's shot, I'm like, oh man, I don't like this shit at all. Like, like I don't I don't like I don't like this at all. <laughs> like like Angelina Jolie's in it. At one point, they like bind and gag Angelina Jolie so that the guy can penetrate her with with her like tentacles. And I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I don't, I don't like this shit. It's kind of some like, weird BDSM sort yeah, of. Thing. Like, this is somebody who likes BDSM, and I'm like, oh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like the monster. I don't want the monsters to do this. Like, like that's I don't like this at all. It's a little out there. But yeah. I had to watch that because Beth wanted to watch Moon Knight, and they're connected, I guess. Well, I I did start watching Moon Knight. I watched the first couple of episodes of Moon Knight. I'm not sure what to. I'm not prepared to to venture a, a, a diagnosis on that one yet. I'm not sure what the fuck is going on yet. Maybe it's because I didn't watch the Eternals. I don't know. But uh, uh, no, not really necessarily. Like the Eternals is 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 vaguely connected. But like you don't need to watch the Eternals for Moon Knight. I finished Moon Knight, so I'll let you finish it. But 
Yeah. Um, and then maybe we can talk about Moon Knight because I, I also have these kind of mixed feelings about Moon Knight where I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I like the horror elements of the first three episodes. I like how yeah. Franchu's kind of kind of terrifying and right, you know, and, and all of that, but whatever. I think it's I think it's I think it's clever, but I don't I don't think I know enough about it yet to really venture an opinion. I, I think I'm only on the third third episode maybe but again i haven't had a whole lot of time to sit down and like digest this stuff I just finished up with cuckoo's nest which went great um so now i'm just kind of taking a breather and getting back into <laughs> the the normal routine of things no that'll be good that'll be good well i'd love to hear i don't have we don't have time to talk more about cuckoo's nest but i'd love to hear more about cuckoo's nest uh, as we get back into the the swing of uh, hookah chats, yes, um, lots of good stuff happening. Um, and and we'll listeners... talk about. I I'll put I'll put this out there. I do want Please. to talk about. Well, we don't have to talk about it tonight, but I do want to talk about some of the evolutions I've had in my uh, in my political thinking, and a lot of that's been dealt with through my experience with Cuckoo's Nest and experience with Elena, and yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. I'm excited. Length. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about that. That's I think it'll be really cool um, as we as we think through random bizarro worldness of of our current political landscape. Well, <laughs> lots of cool things happening, friends. We've got a couple of things in the can. We still have a Backstreet Hookah Chats that's in the can that I, I just need to bring myself to do all the editing for. We've got another episode in the can that that we can we're, we're going to put out, and there's going to be lots of good stuff coming your way. And none so, of it's in German. And none of it's in German. You don't have to do any translating. <laughs> That's all my job. But uh, but let me sign us off. All right. All right. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening. It's been a, 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 an episode of Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan. And we will see you next time.